Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. Amen. It's good to be back. Good to see all you guys. We are picking up where we left off. We did part one, um, looking at Christian virtues in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at part two uh, this evening. Again, we could read this on our own and probably get most of this on our own. So, again, I'm going to do my best to kind of elaborate on what I can. But these are principles, and I want to remind you, every time we look at this portion of Romans, These are not things that we should um, strive to live up to so that we can be saved. That's why Paul established salvation prior to all this. These are all things that as saved people, as saved men, these are things that should be on display in our life. And so we're going to look at eight of those things in particular tonight. And you're going to see that in modern Christianity, and maybe in some of your lives, I know at times in some of my and sometimes in my life, uh, some of these things have not been on display like they should. When you find yourself in that position tonight, listen, don't do this. Um, Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel like you need to throw in the towel. Um, You need to go and spend some time in prayer, and you need to spend some time in confession and and be honest about this. And Lord, I'm not showing the things that I need to, to show. I'm not being hospitable, as Your Word says to be hospitable. How many of you understand we have the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us? It's as simple as this. Lord, teach me by Your Spirit to be more hospitable toward others. And we'll talk about what these actual traits or virtues really mean as we break this down and how they can hopefully affect your life in affecting other people's lives for the Gospel and in discipling others who have been saved. Because we as growing, maturing men ought to be discipling others in how to live the Christian life. Again, we don't live the Christian life uh, to score brownie points with God or to somehow gain salvation. We live the Christian life because of what Christ did for us. Because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, as we've learned all these things in Romans, now these are the things we are to practice and There's no such thing as a non-practicing Christian. If you're a Christian, there is a fire inside of you that when you read the Word of God, and that fire is from the Holy Spirit, and you are deficient in some of these areas in your life, the Spirit is going to light a fire in you to be honest with God about it, to ask for help, to ask for prayer, to seek the Lord's will and His strength in these areas. So let's read this together. We've got eight of them to cover tonight. That's just because we've been out two weeks. We're going to catch up all in one fell swoop. No, not really. This would be a normal lesson. We're going to look at all eight of these tonight. So listen quickly. Twelve. We left off on the first part of 13. We saw that Paul was instructing the church to share with God's people who are in need, uh, to be giving. And we stopped there. And he says an interesting statement right after that in 13. And he says, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I'll just throw this in for free, even if it's the media or politicians that you don't like. He goes on and he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's vengeance. We will get into that next week when we start that next chapter. Let's look at this. Let's look at these virtues or these traits as we break them down. We see the first thing that he says in 13, the second part there, is he says to practice hospitality. That's the first virtue that we really want to concentrate on tonight is hospitality, to be hospitable. Uh, that, that simply means this. Most of us have a basic definition of that. That basic definition is great because that's exactly what it means. It means to be inviting to others. We as believers should be inviting to others, whether those are people of the faith or people who are outside of the faith. In our lives, how we carry ourselves on a day-to-day basis, we ought to be the most inviting people on the planet, showing genuine concern for other people. I know this is a missing element a lot of times in Christianity, but I'm telling you right now, the church and the people of the church and the lost world both need to know that someone has a genuine, inviting, real concern for them. Romans tells us this, that this hospitality is genuine. Romans 12, verse 10, we, we've already seen this as we've looked in Romans. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honoring one another above yourselves. This is how we ought to approach being hospitable to other people. We're going to be inviting. We're going to make sure that the other person feels that genuine concern for them. Uh, when that lost coworker comes to you and says, I'm, I'm going through a hard time. My wife and I, we just had a miscarriage. Or we're going through a, a difficult financial time. Don't push that person away as if they're just stupid because your reaction is, well, God's sovereign and everything's going to be alright. <laughs> They're not going to buy that. They need to see from God's people that we have a genuine concern for them. Show that genuine concern for others. They're going to know. How many of you know the difference between someone who's pretending to be concerned and someone who's genuinely concerned? There's a big difference, right? Someone's talking to you and you're not making eye contact and you're thinking about what you'd rather be doing or you're looking for the other person that you would rather be talking to. They know this, don't they? Just as you know this. So we show that genuine concern for others, putting people ahead of ourselves, stopping our busy schedule, be inviting to that other person. To let them know, hey, I've got time for you. We can go back and we can look at the Gospels and we can know this, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. If we are doing this in our life, we will have hospitality toward other people. How many of you in the room, let's take a poll real quick, love it when people are rude and don't have time for you? Absolutely none of us. So Paul is speaking common sense here. He's saying, Show that same kind of hospitality to other people. Genuine concern for them. Genuine care for them. They're going to know if you genuinely care for them. They're going to know if you're just playing 
some type of religious game. You're just doing it because you're obligated to do it. How many of you understand? We don't care for other people because we're obligated to do it because Jesus saved us. We get to reflect Christ to these people. We get to be inviting and warm to them and to care for them and to help them in any way that we can. First Peter chapter 4, Peter talks about the same subject in verse 9. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, what wisdom is that in regard to hospitality? Uh, if you're grumbling about it, it's not genuine care for them, right? How many of us have found ourselves in that position? You helped someone because you knew it was the right thing to do and all you did was gripe about it when it was over with. I can tell you this. It's happened to me, right? Somebody came in, I was busy, I had something going on. What I'm saying is this. That's not the right attitude. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about genuine concern for others. Peter, again, reiterating that genuine concern and inviting spirit toward them. And he says, do it without grumbling. When you use hospitality, it's for the benefit of the other person. It's not always going to be something that you enjoy, but he says, do it without grumbling. Hospitality should be a mark of every one of our lives. We must show this to others. Those within the church, those outside of the church. Hospitality is a virtue that we should possess, and as believers, we will possess as we walk in the Spirit and walk according to the Word of God. The next thing he says, he goes on in 14, he leaves hospitality, and he gives us a list here. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let's just be real honest here. This is a hard one, isn't it? This is a hard one. Bless, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We can gain from that that probably our natural reaction to those who persecute from what he just told us not to do is to curse them instead of bless them. But God's Word is saying to bless those who persecute us. To show kindness to the undeserving. That's the second thing you see is to be kind. It is kindness to the undeserving. Watch this. Even our enemies, even the people who hate us the most, many of them hate us for the simple reason that we are Christians. But that doesn't give us the right to show them anything less than kindness. We are to show kindness to the undeserving. He goes to the extreme here as Jesus went to the extreme when He tells us to love our enemies and to pray for them. He tells us to bless those who persecute you. The person who's making your life miserable, He says, don't curse that person. Don't look at that, that person with some kind of ill intention or some kind of bad attitude. He says, instead, you to bless them. To show kindness to them. We see a great example of that in the life of Christ. And of course, He is always the example that we ought to look to first, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus covers this. Verse 43, He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, I want to add this just for emphasis. It's not in the Bible. Even if they don't agree with you politically, even if they are communists from another country or socialists in this country, he says, bless them and pray for them that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Jesus is reminding us here in Matthew chapter 5 that the idea that because someone persecutes us, then we have the right to hate them. He's saying, no. 
You don't have a right to hate them. In that situation, show kindness even to the undeserving. Jesus, again, as He always does, gives us the example of what He means. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, when He's there, He's on the cross, and He's looking at those men who just tortured Him, who are mocking Him, and He says, Father, forgive them. They're, they're betting over His clothes at this point in time and casting lots, and He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We have to remember that it is our duty as light bearers for Jesus Christ, as ambassadors for the Lord. It is our duty to show kindness to the undeserving. The attitude that Stephen had there in Acts chapter 7 when he was being martyred for his faith, in that moment of his martyrdom, he shows kindness and he fell on his knees and he cries out in Acts chapter 7 verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. These men were stoning him to death. And his attitude was to show kindness to the undeserving, those who were persecuting him. So Paul is teaching the church here at Rome to show kindness in every situation to every person. To stay away from the cursing and the complaining and the negativity. But to bless them. To pray for them. Show them kindness that, frankly, they don't really deserve. Just as you, frankly, didn't deserve kindness, but God showed you that kindness even in spite of you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Even Christ, when he had accusations and ugly things hurled at him, he did not lash back uh, in any way. For to be kind and to show that kindness. And that kindness should be a mark of all true disciples of Christ, of all true believers. So, we see that he says, be kind in verse 14 by telling us to bless those who persecute us and to bless and do not curse. Even when we think that they don't deserve it, we are still to show them kindness. He goes on in the next verse. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. He's talking here about basic consideration. To be considerate. Rejoice with others. He starts off with that one. I don't know if this is the reason that he starts off with that one, but that's the more difficult one to me. That's the more difficult one to most people. People are often quick to mourn with people. But it's in celebrating with people. Uh, when someone is blessed with something that maybe you wish you had. When someone is blessed in a way that maybe you wish you had been blessed in. Uh, we know that this is a struggle with mankind or God would never have put the command in there about coveting. And we covet a lot of times when we should be rejoicing when that person gets that raise at work that you didn't get. Instead of grumbling with that person or against that person, we ought to be rejoicing with that person. It's, it's often difficult, especially if you're in a situation where you feel like maybe you deserve that raise or that promotion a little more than the other person. Now, don't be that person who neglects to rejoice with others. 
Don't be that person who looks at God's blessings being given to someone else and get frustrated about it. It does you no good, and it gives a negative testimony of you to that other person. He says rejoice with others. Um, Again, often a struggle. Why is it a struggle? Because in our human nature, aren't we selfish to the core? Aren't we prone to jealousy, to covetousness, etc.? Many of us more than others. Some of us a little less than others. But I promise you this, there's been that time in your life where you thought you deserved something and someone else got it. Paul is telling us, when that happens, rejoice with that person. Rejoice with them. And he goes on, he says, not only that, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's evidence of you as a Christian maturing and growing in your faith in Christ when you can do that. He says, mourn with others. Grieve and suffer with others. Hebrews chapter 13 says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. When other people are mourning and they're suffering, He instructs us to also mourn and to suffer with them. You've heard me talk about things like the voice of the martyrs and information that you can get about Christians who are suffering and who are mourning all over the world because of the persecution that they're facing. Many times as American believers, you know what we do? We just simply ignore it as if it's not going on. But I can tell you right now, there are many countries, in fact, the majority of the world would love to have the freedom to meet like we're meeting tonight, but they can't because many of them would be tortured, arrested, and even killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so don't stick your head in the sand when there are those who are suffering and mourning for the faith. Suffer and mourn alongside of them. Lift them up in prayer. Be there um, to pray for their strength as they suffer because one day you're going to grieve. You're going to mourn. You're going to suffer. Isn't it always good when the body of Christ comes alongside of us in our mourning and our grieving and our suffering? I know many of you. I've attended funerals, performed funerals for some of your family. Isn't it comforting to know that the church comes right beside you and lifting you up in prayer and encouraging you through the Word of God? That's what he's talking about. We are to mourn and grieve with others when they mourn and grieve. Be that suffering because we're going through death or something that is associated with death or sickness or if it's persecution of the other believers. We are instructed not only to rejoice with others but also mourn with others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, it says in reference to the body of Christ, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. With it. That's a picture of the body of Christ. When a brother in this room is suffering, he's going through a difficult time, it ought to be those of us in this room who gather around him, who lift him up in prayer, who encourage him, who lift him up in prayer personally, and then in our prayer lives when we're away from him, to consider him and to offer him and to lift him up to the Lord. So he's reminding us to be considerate. We know we live in a culture that has lost the art of being considerate, haven't they? Everyone is in a hurry to get ahead. What he's telling us is, as Christians, let's not be those guys. Let's be the people who don't mind not getting ahead so that we can help those brothers who are in need, so that we can rejoice with those brothers who are rejoicing. That may mean this. That may mean you don't get to rejoice for yourself. 
when it's time to rejoice. But what you will see is when we rejoice with others, when it's time for us to rejoice, God will send those who are to rejoice with us. When we suffer and grieve and mourn with those who are grieving and mourning, when it's time for us to do the same, God will in turn do the same thing. He will send those brothers into our lives to grieve and to mourn and to suffer alongside of us. It's about being considerate. To think about what would help me if I was in this same situation. Whether that's rejoicing or whether that's mourning. Nobody likes it when they're rejoicing to have some sourpuss come along and rain on their parade, do they? Don't be that person. Be considerate. Put yourself in that situation. Would I want others to rejoice with me? Of course, the answer is yes. Would I want others to mourn with me? Of course, the answer again is yes. He's reminding us to be considerate. And we need to remember that. Uh, being considerate and showing consideration for others as believers ought to be a trait that we possess. We continue reading. Verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Interesting term. This is one that needs a little further explanation. In the Greek, it means this, to be same-minded. To be same-minded. We also get the idea of being impartial. To not show partiality toward someone or some group of someone. To be same-minded and to live in harmony. We can go back to the early church in Acts and what do we see? They were one heart and they were one mind. My prayer is this, and I'm thankful that we get to see a church that is just that. My prayer is that we continue to be that in harmony with one another. Where it really doesn't matter our background, it really doesn't matter whether we're rich or we're poor or we're black or we're white or we're short or we're tall. All those things shouldn't matter to those of us who are really seeking the will of God. We should look at each other the same, being same-minded, so that we can live in harmony. It means to be consistent in view and in treatment of all. Consistent in view and in treatment of all. That means this, we can't treat one person, maybe because of his social or economical status, differently than we do the person who maybe is not as blessed in the area of earthly finances. We can't show impartial, we can't show partiality to the one who is different than our race, different than our culture, right? Because we grew up in the South, someone comes from the North, they're a little different than us, right? We can't show any partiality toward anyone for any reason. Because we know this, in Christ what? There's neither male nor female, nor Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free. Many churches right now are divided on an issue that shouldn't even be an issue. They're divided on the issue of race so often because they keep bringing it up in the wrong manner. Here's the thing. Scripture has spoken about it. Let's live according to Scripture. Be same-minded. Be impartial. Be consistent in your view and your treatment of others. James talks about this in his letter. James warns against these things, actually. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. 
you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of Him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. He's saying this, if you show favoritism to any person for any reason, pay attention to this. He's taking away all of our excuses to show partiality or preference. If you show favoritism for any reason, you are violating a command of Jesus Christ that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Many times if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves violating this, showing partiality to certain groups. Again, this could be racial. This could be political. Right? This could be economical. This could be recreational. You like to hunt and fish. So you show favoritism to those people who like the things that you like, while the guy who's over here, who maybe he's a golfer, you don't associate with him because you guys don't share in the same things. Here's what's going to happen. And God knows this. You're going to miss out on learning something from Him, and He's going to miss out on learning something from you. You're going to miss out on what the body of Christ is intended to do, and that is to encourage one another. And You're going to miss out on that, not for any spiritual reason at all. You're going to miss out on that because you have not been impartial. You have shown favoritism to a certain different person or different group instead of getting out of your comfort zone. We hear that term all of the time. We need to get out of our comfort zone. Well, I'm comfortable with this type of people. If you've noticed that, be careful of it because it could be your downfall. You could be missing out on those who God is putting into your life to show the love of Christ, preach the Gospel to, because you have some type of prejudice, some type of favoritism in your own life and in your own mind. Now, again, we all will struggle with this to some degree at some point in time. Be honest with yourself about that. Confess that to the Lord. Ask the Lord, Lord, let me see everyone as You see everyone. Let me show that impartial attitude as I have been commanded to do. Let me be same-minded as I look into people's lives. Let me live in harmony with them, consistent my view toward them and my treatment of them. So we move on to 16, the second part. In the first part, he said, live in harmony with one another. Then he says, do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We see here the next virtue or attribute of a believer that is that we be humble or that we exercise humility. It is the opposite of proud and conceited. That's why he's very adamant about saying there at the end, do not be conceited. Don't think that you are too good to lower yourself 
minister to, to love, to share the Gospel with, that addict who's laying in his own vomit in the street, that person who probably would never darken the doors of a church. He's warning us of this, to have a humble attitude toward other people. Not to think that we are somebody. He warns us against our own potential to be conceited. To think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Luke chapter 14 says this in verse 12, Then Jesus said to His host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do you invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors? If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. What Jesus is teaching here is it's easy for us to invite those who, number one, we're comfortable with. Number two, we might gain something in return. But what about us humbling ourselves to the point where we befriend people who we're never going to benefit from this relationship, and that's not our objective. How many times in life do we approach relationships with this attitude? How can this relationship benefit me? That's not the Christian attitude. Our Christian attitude should be, how can this benefit the other person? And how can it bring glory to God? And potentially, how could it bring someone to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? We do it in church all the time, don't we? Right? We go out to eat with our close friends after church. While that less fortunate person who could not otherwise go out to eat after service goes on to do whatever it is that they do, not included in the group. Be very careful. Be very careful. I'm not telling you every week to look for someone who maybe could not be a part of that fellowship. I'm saying, when the Spirit puts it on your heart and He highlights someone, that new couple who's over there who they don't really know where their place is, and you know that you're going out to eat instead of inviting your best friend because you know that He's probably going to turn around the next week and invite you and He's going to pay this time. See what Jesus is saying there? That's how we understand it in our culture. Instead, invite that person who has six kids. You know they really can't afford to go out to eat. They would really love to. Invite them. And you take care of it if you have the means and God has blessed you with those means. Uh, because it's come from Him anyways. It all belongs to Him, doesn't it? I think we've covered this before. Invite that family to eat with you and your family. And I assure you of this. They'll never be able to repay it. Nor should you ever expect them to. But I can guarantee you this. You'll be blessed by God. I can't tell you, as some of these charismatic people tell you, that you know if you buy them lunch, it's going to come back a million fold. I can't guarantee you that. I can tell you this, you'll leave that restaurant that day with the peace in your heart of knowing that you did exactly what Jesus taught us to do in Luke chapter 14, exactly what Paul is teaching us here about humility. Don't, don't be afraid to lower yourselves. Don't be afraid to truly analyze that without Christ, you're nothing anyways. We have, when we have true humility, it really comes down to two things. The first thing is this, a proper view of others. They're no worse than you, right? No matter how lowly or poor those people are, they're no worse than you. 
were it not for the grace of God, wouldn't you be right there with them? Yeah, I can tell you this, you would. That's something that we have to think about as believers all the time. I can promise you this, when you see that drug addict on the street corner begging for money, when he was a little boy playing out in his yard throwing his baseball up and catching it in his mitt, he wasn't thinking to himself, man, I hope one day I'm a junkie. Actually, what he was doing is he was thinking just like you were. I'm going to be a big league pitcher one day. I'm going to make it to the major leagues. And as we know, sin, if not dealt with in Christ, takes its toll, doesn't it? And were it not for the grace of God, as Paul has already established this in Romans in the first nine or ten chapters, if it were not for the grace of God, we would all still be wrapped up in our depravity. And so he's challenging us here as believers to be humble. Proper view of other people. They're no worse than me. If we're not for the grace of God, I'll be right there with them. Please, man, you don't get anything else out of tonight, get that. Because we owe it all to the grace of Jesus Christ. Many times in the church, unfortunately, people began to get these pharisaical attitudes and to behave like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. That They were up here. And everyone else was a whole lot lower than them. We can never have that attitude and be right according to Scripture. Our attitude always ought to be to view others properly. If they are in the gutter, they are in the low places of life, in the darkness of this world, it is our duty as believers to wade off into their world and shine the light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to show them the love of Christ. We can't do that in our pride. We can only do that in our humility. And that humility comes from God. I promise you, it's not natural. It's supernatural. So we have to have a proper view of others. We also have to have a proper view of ourselves if we're going to walk in humility. Remember that they're no worse than you, and you're no better than them. Uh, no matter where you're from, what you have, whether you were raised in church, whether you, you've memorized many, many Scriptures, or you know none, none of us are different. We're all dependent upon the grace of God, and we have no right, not one single one of us in this room, to ever be anything other than humble toward other people. Pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Proverbs tells us that. Proverbs 16, verse 18, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. He goes on in 19, he says, Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Paul is reminding us to be humble. Humility ought to be something that distinguishes us from the world. It ought to be something that distinguishes us from our former life of sin. We ought to see that work happening in us as we submit to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God. Moving on. We've seen we as Christians should be hospitable, kind, considerate, impartial, humble. Verse 17 He's going to add add another one to this list. He says, And do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. There in the first part of 17. You have on your list the virtue of being forgiving. We are called to be 
forgiving. He's telling us, don't return evil for evil. That's the spirit and the attitude of vengeance that comes from our flesh, right? When somebody does us wrong, we're going to get them back. Anyone in the room raised that way? Hey, if someone does you wrong, man, you have every right in the world to do them wrong back. Now, I can tell you this, that's not biblical. Those of us who might have been raised like that, who are in this room, who have raised their hand, as we've grown in Christ, I'm sure and I hope, that the Spirit has convicted you that we are to be forgiving. In fact, our forgiveness is to be a forgiveness like the world can't even comprehend. Because we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. We're not to return evil with evil, but we know that Scripture tells us we're to return evil with good. We are to pardon those who wrong us. To forgive them. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Apostle Paul says this in verse 15. He says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. We have to be kind and forgiving. It is not our duty to pay back the wrongs that are done to us. In fact, conviction ought to grip the heart of a Christian when he desires to return evil with evil. First Peter chapter 3. Peter tells us this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, we love to talk about being called by God and receiving salvation by grace through faith in Christ and God doing this work and calling us. He's saying, yeah, and you've been called to be forgiving. We are called not to return evil with evil or insult with insult. Not even in your marriage relationship. Shouldn't we be a light to our wives when our wife maybe says something that insults us? Is, is it right for us to then insult her back or should we return a blessing to her? You're divided in the room, I can tell. But the fact of the matter is that's your first ministry as a man. You ought to be shining the light of Jesus Christ into that relationship as well as every relationship in your life. So we have to learn to be forgiving, to pardon those who wrong us, and to pardon them completely. How many of you are thankful today that though your whole life you did evil toward God, He by His grace has pardoned you and has pardoned you completely? Why would we share any other kind of attitude with other people? We ought to show them the forgiveness that we have received in Christ by the forgiveness that we give to them. I promise you this. It will floor them. It will floor a lost world when you say this. Don't worry about it, man. We're good. It's forgotten. It's over. I'm not ever going to bring it up again. And I'm going to ask that you don't bring it up again. It is washed. It is cleansed. And they say, what? Nobody's ever approached me like that. Let me tell you why I see it differently. Because I was a scoundrel. I was a wretch. I was a sinner. I was wicked. I was evil. And God forgave me when I didn't deserve it. And He forgave me completely. In fact, Scripture says He cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And it is at the bottom of the ocean's floor. It will never be brought to my charge again. It is taken care of. And that's exactly what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to forgive you just like that. 
You think you don't have a door to share the Gospel with someone when you walk in forgiveness? You think there's not a reason that we've been commanded to forgive as we or just as we have been forgiven? You can't return evil for evil because returning evil for evil is vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's, just as He said. We are to offer forgiveness. We are to offer forgiveness completely. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, we love that part, holy and dearly loved. Yes, we are. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And then he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's very important that we learn this. That we don't hold grudges, that we don't seek vengeance, but that we forgive and we pardon others who wrong us and we pardon them completely just as we have been pardoned completely by God through Jesus Christ. So forgiveness. The sixth mark of the sixth virtue that we're looking at tonight should be displayed in your life to some degree. And it should be an increasing degree. The more you learn about God's forgiveness, right, as we walk through the grace of God in Romans, it ought to be a natural thing now in our hearts as believers through the power of the Holy Spirit to show that kind of grace and forgiveness to other people. If you withhold grace and forgiveness at this point, here in chapter 12 from other people, you didn't get the first 10 or 11 chapters of Romans. You need to go back and study it again. But if you do get it, you realize that we've been forgiven of a lot. We didn't deserve forgiveness. Therefore, forgiveness is something we ought to offer others to show Christ to them. We move on. The second part of 17. First part says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And he says, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. We get to the I word, and that I word is integrity, and it is fading all around us, right? A life of integrity, an integrous life. God has called us to that. And he says that we are here in Romans, that we are to live a life that is right in the eyes of everybody. Man, don't we live in a society where eyes are everywhere? Eyes are on your Instagram. They're on your Snapchat. They're on your Facebook. There's, com- there, there's cameras everywhere you look. Right? You get tickets from the tollway. Didn't even know that you could do a, such a thing until it comes in the mail. Right? We got red light cameras in certain cities where you get a ticket mailed because you did the little California roll through the stoplight. There's eyes everywhere. We have to think about that now more so than at any time in church history. People are watching us. People are watching us closer than ever. In fact, our lives are out on display for all the world to see. And what they ought to see in the life of a believer is integrity. Integrity. We ought to have integrity in the eyes of everyone. That means the believer first because we are in the church. So as an example, for those we are discipling, because I hope you are discipling someone, weren't you called by Christ to go make disciples? I hope there's someone in your life who you are pointing to Christ on a consistent basis, teaching them the things that you've learned 
teaching them the Word of God as God has poured it out to you. As you're doing that, do that with integrity. If you teach them something and you live the opposite of that, they're not going to see integrity in your, in your life. They're going to see double-mindedness in your life. They're going to see double-talk in your life. They're going to see that you say one thing and you do the complete opposite of that. We have to live a life of integrity in the eyes of the believers, those who we are discipling. Galatians chapter 6 says this in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I don't know about you, I spend more time with believers than I do with unbelievers. And I want to make sure that in the time that I spend with them, that I spend time with them showing integrity. Showing that I am doing right in the eyes of everybody. Not only in the eyes of the believers, but also in the eyes of the unbelievers. How many of you understand the unbelievers are watching you? Those of you who live boldly for Christ, I promise you, you've made that claim that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you've surrendered your life to His Gospel and His Gospel alone. The lost world is going to watch to see if you're any different. The sad thing is, many of them don't see any difference because that word right there, integrity, is missing. We have to do what is right. And he says, be careful to do what is right. That means, hey, give some attention to this. Make this priority. Make this a, a chief concern in your life that you do things with integrity because people are watching you. I've heard Christians say, I don't care what they think about me. Why? You should care what they think about you. Because you've claimed Jesus Christ. You've claimed, I'm changed. I'm different. I've been saved. You should care what other people think about you. You should be living a life that causes people to say this. Hey, his life is backed up by his claim with the integrity that comes out of his life. So God is calling us once again to see the importance of integrity. Paul is calling the church of Rome to see the importance of integrity. Kirk Hall is calling Key Life Fellowship tonight to see the importance of integrity. Because many people don't see the importance of that. Young believers are looking at you. First Peter chapter 2. Watch this. He says, Dear friends, verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. He says, though they wrongly accuse you, they're not going to really have anything against you. That's the kind of lives that we need to live. That when they bring accusations against us just for the mere fact that we're believers and they're not, that they know in their heart of hearts that their accusations are not accurate. And how do they know that? Because they examine our lives and they look at our lives and they see us living lives of integrity. We must, as believers, have lives that are marked with integrity. That's in your business. That's in your home. That's in your taxes. Right? Because the IRS agent counts too. When he comes to audit you, he needs to see that you're a person of integrity. He needs to see that you're not trying to pull the wool over the government's eyes. You got quiet. 
really fast. It always gets quiet when we talk about integrity and the IRS in the same conversation, right? Be people of integrity. Paul wants the church to know we're mandated to do this. The last thing is this, verse 18. Pay close attention to this. He says in verse 18, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, underline that, live at peace with everyone. He says, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that clause because some people just don't like peace. You can do everything within your power And some people are just going to be thorns in your flesh. He doesn't say worry about other people not being peaceable toward you. He says you worry about you being peaceable toward other people. He's saying this, do everything that you can do. Isn't that really all that we can do anyway? So he's saying as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. James chapter 3 Verse 17, James says this, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Sounds like the same things we're learning tonight from Paul. Almost like they got all this stuff from Jesus. (laughs) He goes on and he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's important that we as believers... Make every effort to live at peace with other people. God has taught me this lesson over and over and over again with my next door neighbor. She is not a very peaceable person. In fact, we would use the word cantankerous. However, God has shown me that what she does and how she acts doesn't matter. What matters is, am I making an active effort to live at peace with her so that she can't ever bring an accusation against me about anything? We have to think about these things in our life that through active effort, and part of this is up to us. We as Christians ought to make peace and live at peace with other people. I'm not talking about being a doormat, and I'm not talking about being a pacifist. I am talking about living at peace as much as it depends upon you. Are you doing your part? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What does that mean? I can promise you this. When a person who is cantankerous and mean and hateful sees that you just keep making peace over and over, the meaner they get, the more peace you try to make. The more belligerent they are, the more gentle you become. When they see this, they are going to see that you truly are a son of God. They are going to recognize that you are truly what you claim to be. Now, don't think for a second that you're ever going to hear them admit it. They're not going to admit it. They're not going to come over and say, hey, I was wrong about you. They're not. We're not living for apologies. 
what they are going to take note of, they're going to take note of the work of God that has been done through you because they know this. They know if somebody pushed me like that, I'd punch them in the neck. They're going to see that you're different because the more they escalate in animosity, the more you gravitate toward gentleness and love and respect and peace. Difficult, isn't it, men? Right? Because our flesh wants to, when things escalate, we want to escalate back, don't we? Before you know it, we're off in our flesh, and then what do we have to do? As believers, you know what we have to do, because conviction is about to eat us alive. We've got to come back. Hey, I was wrong how I handled that. I need you to forgive me. All those things that we have to go do at that point. Now, your grandma told you this. She was probably very wise. That an ounce of prevention is worth a what? Pound of cure. You know how we prevent having to go back and say, I blew it? Being peaceable in all that we do. Living a life of peace. Making sure that as much as it depends upon us, we are living at peace with all men. Even the ones who are difficult to live with. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. I want to remind you of this. He spent most of his ministry in prison being persecuted just for following Christ. And you never one time see him go before some magistrate and say, I ought to punch you in the throat for persecuting us. He goes before them and he makes peace with them. And he comes to them in peace. And he comes to them in peace with the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What an example for us to see. We see that in the life of Jesus. Could I not call 10,000 legions of angels? Could I not end this right now and destroy everyone who is doing this to me? Of course I could. I'm the prince prince of peace. I'm going to bring peace to those who are persecuting me as much as it depends upon me. What an example we have of living a life of peace through active effort. Make that effort to live at peace with all men. In spite, well this is the hard word, in spite of the opposing side's effort. Right? Because isn't that our fleshly attitude? I'll live at peace with them as long as they'll act peaceable toward me. No, we are the ones who ought to be the instigators of peace. We ought to be the peacemakers. In spite of the opposing side's effort to not live at peace, we are called to live at peace with them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the author of Hebrews says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He lists living at peace with all men in the same sentence as being holy. You want people to see the holiness of God in your life? They're not going to see it because you tithe, or you go to church, or you come to men's Bible study. They're going to see a reflection of God through the fact that you are a person who makes peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Be peaceable as much as it depends upon you. In spite of whatever the opposing side is doing, we are called to peace. First Peter chapter 3, verse 11. He, talking about the believer, must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. He must seek peace and 
pursue it. It is an, it is an active effort on our behalf as believers to seek peace and pursue it. To be peaceable should be a mark of a true believer. So we finish this up in this section, the practical section. What we should be doing as believers now that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. What should we be doing? Paul gives us a list. He started it in the last lesson. Regard to the internal. He continues in this lesson. Regard to the external. How we behave toward others. Whether they be in the church. Or whether they be in the world. Whether they be friends. Or whether they be enemies. Here's how we're to conduct our life. Here's the life that we are to live. So we have to ask ourselves. Is my life being characterized by these things? These things that Paul is teaching here to the church at Rome. That continue today to apply to the church here in New Caney, Texas. In 2021, these things should be on display in our lives to some degree. Now, let me tell you this. Maybe you're not where you ought to be in this. Again, I've never met anyone who was perfect. One day I will meet Jesus face to face, and that will be the first time that I see true perfection. But I want you to examine your life. Don't examine the life of others. Examine your life. Am I being hospitable? Kind, considerate, impartial, humble, forgiving, integrous, peaceable. Am I being those things in my life? Because I'll tell you this, we just read it in Scripture. He's talking to the believers here. He has established for them good theology so that He can give them good practice. And He's saying this is good practice for the Christian. This is what we ought to be doing. There's a deficiency in your life. Be honest about that. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said He's our helper, He's our comforter, He's our teacher? Cry out to Him, Holy Spirit, I need Your help. Because I, I, I'm not doing real well right now in the, the category of humility. I need Your help. I know that's scary, right? But isn't that what He's inside of us and dwelling in us to do? That's exactly what He's there to do. To make us more like Christ. I can promise you this, we're not going to do it tonight, don't worry. Because we had eight points and we made it through. You can examine the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just go read about Him. Fascinating. He's hospitable. He's kind. He's considerate. He's impartial. He's humble. He's forgiving. He's integrous. And He's peaceable. We learned in Romans chapter 8, what did we learn? Those He foreknew, He did also predestine to conform to the image of His Son, so that He might be called the firstborn among many brethren. We all hooped and we hollered and we shouted great theology that's good and good theology is good. But good theology means nothing if we don't put it into practice. If you have been called according to His purpose, you should reflect Jesus Christ in your life. And in fact, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will not be satisfied until you do. To be a man of God Paul has listed these things. These are virtues that we should possess. Examine your life tonight. Examine your life not in light of what you think or what you think you know. Examine your life in light of the Word of God. If there is a deficiency, go to the One who died to help you conquer your deficiencies and admit that deficiency and get honest and confess that. Rely on the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and 
to empower you to be and to do exactly what Jesus Christ died for you to be and to do. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You so much for loving us. We thank You for dying on a cross, even in spite of the fact that we were wicked and evil and that we were enemies of You, enemies of Your holiness and Your righteousness. But God, You loved us in spite of us and You rescued us from our wickedness and we thank You for that. God, I pray that we live lives that show that we truly appreciate that. We live lives that back up our claim that we know Jesus Christ. Thank You for these virtues that we have seen in Romans chapter 12. Thank You for preserving them throughout the ages so that we can have them in our hand tonight so that they can be used by Your Spirit to change us and to mold us into who You died for us to be. God, we just pray for each man in this room who knows You as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would examine their life. They would be honest about where they are. And that they would trust You, the author and the finisher of their faith, to bring them to where You want them to be. So that they can be a reflection of Jesus Christ in all they do and all they say while they're on this earth, bringing great glory to You and to Your name. We give You praise for all You do. We ask that You bless us as we seek to do Your will. Lead us into it. Let us be obedient to all things that You've commanded. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.